Well, good morning. Well, not long ago, uh, I needed to take my car in to get a little work done, so I decided to take it into the dealership, and um, while it was there, they, they recommended I get an oil change, so uh, of course, you know, they always find something else you got to do. And so I got my oil changed amongst many other things, and then the next morning when I woke up, sure enough, all the oil they changed happened to be on my driveway. And uh, so I walk outside and see all the oil spilled all over my driveway, and I'm like, this, I'm no mechanic, but this is not good, right? This is not what I paid for. And so I called the dealership, and to my surprise, you know, I didn't have to go through this phone tree that took 30 minutes. I actually got to talk to somebody, and his response just kind of took me off guard. He goes, oh, we'll take care of that. And uh, he, he said, listen, are you at home right now? I said, yes, I can't leave home, Mike, Mike. The oil's all over my driveway. And he said, well, listen, we're, we're just going to send a, uh, a car over, and uh, we'll let you use one of our cars, and we'll, we'll take care of, of yours. And I was like, well, that, that'd be great. And so they, they come over, and, and they bring me a loan car and uh, tow my car back to the shop. And later on that afternoon, I get a phone call from my wife, and, and she says, hey, um, do you know there's three men outside in our front yard right now? And uh, it looks like they're working on the driveway. Like, did you call and yell at somebody? Like, what happened? I go, no, I didn't yell at anybody, right? Uh, she goes, well, they seem to be cleaning all the oil from our driveway right now. Um, like, like, they're cleaning it all up. It's, it looks like it's gone. And, uh, you know, it just took me by surprise. It, it shocked me. I, I never mentioned anything like, hey, you need to come clean this up. But the dealership just recognized, hey, you know what, like, uh, this was our mistake. And so they provided me a loan car, and they, and they fixed my car, and then they sent people over to, to clean our driveway. And um, this particular dealership, right, I mean, they advertise as, as, as one that is uh, high on customer service. And that particular day, I saw, you know what, these guys, it's more than just words, it's more than just talk. And it's because they live by, they operate by one simple rule. And it's not a rule that's unique to them. It's not one they came up with, but it is one that sets your business apart. And it doesn't only just set your business apart, such you stand up in front of several thousand people telling, telling them about it. It sets your family apart, sets your marriage apart, your schools, your communities Community groups set your church apart. And this little rule is found in Matthew chapter 7, verse 12. We're going to look at one verse, one verse today. And uh, if, if you've been with us this summer, you know that we are continuing a series called The Summer on the Mount. It's our look at Jesus' Sermon on the Mount found in Matthew chapters 5 through 7. It's the first of five sermons that Jesus gives. It's perhaps the most famous sermon he's ever given. It's the one that people refer to as the most often. And in Matthew chapter 7, verse 12, it reads like this. It says, so whatever you wish that others would do to you, do also to them, for this is the law and the prophets. And since kindergarten, you've heard of this rule, and it's known as the golden rule. That's exactly right. It is the golden rule. So whatever you wish that others would do to you, do also to them, for this is the law 
and the prophets. It's known as the golden rule I learned this week because a Roman emperor had actually written this verse, this rule on his wall in gold. And so it became known as the golden rule. J.C. Ryle, the a great uh, reformed pastor, he said it like this. He said, hey, listen, the golden rule settles a hundred difficult points. It prevents the necessity of laying down endless little rules for our conduct in specific cases. Isn't that true? Like we just don't need to write down 4,000 things of what to do when this happens. You just write down one rule. Write down one rule, Matthew 7, verse 12, the golden rule. Whatever you wish others to do to you, do for them. You want to set aside, you want to set apart your company, your business, you want to do business differently that earns a reputation that others will talk about? More than just putting a little fish on your business card. In fact, if you're not going to live by the golden rule, please spare us all. Don't put the fish on your business card. It drives me crazy. But isn't that true, though? This prevents the necessity of laying down endless little rules for our conduct in specific cases. You've got to understand when we read this verse, it's written within the context, right? We pulled it out, but it's, it's written within the Sermon on the Mount, like I said. And the, the Sermon on the Mount, to be really clear, Jesus is describing a kingdom ethic for a kingdom people. He's not telling us, hey, this is what you've got to do in order to be saved, This is what you've got to do in order to be rightly related to God. That's not what he's saying right here. He's talking to a people who who recognize, who want to follow Christ, who want to um, receive his grace, receive his provision, and then live in light of the fact that they are recipients of his grace. Uh, Jesus, in the Sermon on the Mount, he makes it really clear that, that all of us cannot live up to God's standard which is holiness, which is perfect. We serve a righteous, perfect, and holy God who doesn't just measure our external behavior. The Sermon on the Mount makes it clear that he's not just looking at each of us, kind of measuring us, going, hey, did you do this? Did you do that? No, in fact, his law, his will, uh, penetrates our very hearts. He says to us, hey, you don't, you don't get a pass. You don't get, you know, applaud by God like he's impressed with your resume just because you don't murder somebody. No, he exposes our hearts and he goes, hey, I say to you, even one who is angry at his brother, he's guilty. You don't get a pass just because you didn't commit adultery. He says, hey, I say to you, everyone who looks lustfully on another is guilty of committing adultery. When Jesus preaches in the Sermon on the Mount, you start to feel a little more weight of conviction. And he's doing that on purpose to show us that we need God's forgiveness that none of us can live up to this perfect standard of righteousness and holiness, but Christ alone. And so we receive his grace. We acknowledge our need for a savior, his forgiveness. And that's what this message is all about. This Matthew 7 verse 12 is how do we as those recipients of his grace now in turn love and respond and treat other people? How can we possibly do that? So in looking at this verse, we broke it up into three parts this morning. The the practice of the rule, the motive of the rule, and the priority of the rule. The practice of the rule, the motive of the rule, and the priority of the rule. So let's, let's look carefully. What does it mean to practice this? 
As I've said, it says, whatever you wish that others would do to you, do also to them. Which you may not know is up until this time when Jesus lived, a, a version of this rule had been repeated over and over again. Confucius had stated a version of this rule. Stoic philosophers uh, religious leaders, Jewish leaders, rabbis, they had all stated one form or another of this particular idea. But see if you can tell how all of these men said something, but how they said it differently than Jesus. One said, do not do unto others what you would not want others to do unto you. Another, watch yourself, my son, and everything you do and discipline yourself and all your conduct and what you hate, do not do to anyone. Another, what is hateful to yourself, do to no other. Another, what you do not wish to be done to you, do not do to anyone else. Did you catch it? What's different about what was common, what, was, what everybody kind of spoke of and what was accepted in the day? Jesus comes into that context and he says it positively. Everyone else had a negative form of the rule. Did you notice that? And there's an incredible difference between Obeying the negative form of the rule and obeying the positive form of the rule. It's possible for all of us to obey the negative form of the rule. I, I don't want to be robbed, so I'm not going to rob you. I don't want to be cheated on, so I'm not going to cheat you. I'm not going to lie, so I'm not going to lie to you. That's obeying the negative form of the rule. But what Jesus does is he's calling us to something really different. It's not just this passive obedience. He calls us to love proactively, to be proactive in how we treat other people. It's not enough to simply do no harm. If you know your Bible, right, we are our brother's keeper, to quote Genesis chapter four, to express the idea of the minor prophet Obadiah. We are our brother's keeper. We are responsible for how our neighbor is doing. We are to initiate. This is the exact same point that Jesus taught in perhaps his most famous parable, the one that you've heard many times before, the, the parable of the Good Samaritan, right? If you have your Bible, look to Luke chapter 10. It's, it, it bears repeating. Luke chapter 10, beginning in uh, verse 30. Jesus tells the story. He says, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho and fell among robbers who stripped him and beat him and departed, leaving him half dead. Now, by chance, a priest was going down that same road, and when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. So likewise, a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, he passed by on the other side. So you have two religious leaders who, who are walking down the road, and they see a, me, a man who's been robbed and beaten, left half dead, and I'm sure they have important religious matters to take care of. And so they just pass by and they ignore the man. But verse 33, but a Samaritan, one who was from Samaria, one who was despised by the Jews, a half-breed, if you will, unexpectedly as he journeyed, came to where the man was and when he saw him, he had compassion. He went to him and bound up his wounds and pouring on oil and wine. Then he set him on his own animal and brought him to an inn and he took care of him. And the next day he took out two, denari two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper saying, take care of him and whatever more you spend, I will repay you when I come back. Which of these three do you think proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell among the robbers? 
He said, the one who showed him mercy. And Jesus said to him, you go and do likewise. You notice that the, that the priests and the Levite, they followed the negative form of the rule. They didn't beat this man. They didn't have any culpability in, in why that he was robbed. They weren't a part of that. But Jesus looks at them and he goes, hey, that is not how you love. That's not how you treat people. The hero of the story is the Samaritan who puts himself in the other man's shoes, who loves proactively, who practices the golden rule and goes, how would I like it if somebody beat me and left me half dead? What would I want somebody to do for me? Care for me. What if that was your loved one? You would hope that someone would stop and go, hey, this man needs help. And in fact, that's exactly what the Samaritan does. He gives of his time. He gives of his money, his compassion. He goes out of his way. He goes, man, see that this man is taken well cared of. And Jesus goes, hey, that's the hero of the story. And you see how the golden rule is tied closely and connected with the greatest commandment. Because just preceding that, a lawyer comes to Jesus and says to him, hey, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus says to him, what's written in the law? How do you read it? And he answered him, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, with all your mind, and your neighbor is yourself. Verse 28. And he said to him, you have answered correctly. Do this and you will live. But he, desiring to justify himself, said to Jesus, and who is my neighbor? That's the whole point of the, of the good Samaritan is to convey the fact that each person you come across you are to love proactively. They are your neighbor. And so it's in this context in the Sermon on the Mount that Jesus is coming to us and he's saying, hey, you want to be a kingdom people. You want to follow me. You want to love like I love. You want to live in such a way that as he began the sermon, to be salt and light in the dark world that others would come to know the Father, then you've got to love proactively. You can't just walk by. Don't just practice the negative form of the rule. In each and every situation in our lives, we're called to put ourselves in someone else's shoes. So I want you to think about this for a second. Just kind of brass tacks. This week, as you sit at lunch, how do you think you will respond differently if you were going to practice the golden rule when a few of your coworkers begin to talk behind the back of another coworker, a friend of yours. See, oftentimes we're like, well, you know, I'm not gonna be the one to gossip, and so I'll just remain silent. And yet we let people just run over the guy who's not there. If you were to practice the golden rule, how different would it be to go, hey, you know what? Tom's not here, you know? Let's talk about Tom when Tom's here. Or have you shared that with Tom? I bet he would love to know. How about them cowboys? And move on. But you know what happens when you do that? People stop gossiping around you. And they also trust that you're not a gossip. But oftentimes we're kind of like, well, it's not me who's gossiping, so I'm good. I'm just going to stay quiet. I don't want them to be upset with me. I don't want to be, I don't want it to be uncomfortable. Or, or what about if, you know, this week you start to feel a little distant from those in your community group. And so what, what naturally happens when, Maybe it's summer and there's a lot of travel and you haven't talked to those in your community group. You're kind of like, you know what? Nobody's called me lately. All they talk about is community at Watermark. These people don't even care about me, right? Like, why did anybody 
call me. Nobody's calling me to go get dinner. I haven't talked to those guys in a long time. They don't they not care what's going on in my life. You ever been there before? We all have. We all have. But the difference is if you practice the golden rule, what's the question? If that's the way you want to be treated, then perhaps you pick up the phone. You initiate. You call. Hey, you know what? I mean, it's been a long time since we got together. It's been a long time since... We've really connected. I hate that. I feel this distance, and I'd love to know what's going on with you. And so man, I just felt like I'd call you, just tell you I care about you, I was praying for you. And, uh, man, I look forward to the next time we get together. What an incredible difference that would be. Instead of stewing in bitterness and wondering, why don't people call me to be the one to initiate and call others? Or what about... Right When you have the opportunity, perhaps, to take advantage of a client because you see that there is a good deal. Maybe he doesn't have all the information you have, and you have the opportunity right here, maybe to be the hero at work and expose his ignorance. But you choose, you know what? This really isn't a fair trade deal here. And if you're going to do business with me, I want to make sure that it's a win-win situation. I want to make sure it's a fair deal. If we live like that, it would not only change our, our business and the way we conduct our business, it would change our community groups, it would change our communities, change our, change our church. Now, now I'm going to go from, as one of my friends says, hey, Blake, you're going from preaching to meddling. So I'm going to take the risk of doing that. Think about this morning. All right? Think about this morning. Think about... Um, when you pulled into the parking lot, everybody wants to park close, right? And you know, I know that there's some single men who it blesses me, who very purposefully and intentionally park in the furthest spot. I've talked to them. They're like, oh, it's easy. I don't have family. I don't have young kids. Healthy. Park far so somebody else can park close. And I just look at them and go, brother, as simple as that sounds, that's practicing the golden rule, right? Or when you walk in, I, I understand, I, I get it. I always want to sit on the aisle seat. We, we want the aisle seat. We don't want to move in. Or I read the Watermark News. I read the little comments, right? We leave every week. And inevitably, somebody will say, hey, no one talked to me. And I hate that. I mean, I stand out there to greet as many people as I can, just say, hey, because I hate that people would walk in and out here and not feel like anybody cared. But what would happen, gang, if you know and love the Lord Jesus, if you came not with, how come nobody talks to me, but you came with, I'm gonna meet five new people today. See how different that is? I'm gonna make sure five people are greeted and welcomed. They feel like this is a safe place. This is a place to come where God's people are. It's really different. You see, this golden rule we talk of is, is easy to understand. This isn't complicated, but it's just really hard to apply. It's a totally different mindset. We become other-centered rather than focus on ourselves. We become hosts, right, not guests. And we initiate and we love proactively. Just not long ago, I was... 
I came home after a long day and candidly, I was frustrated and irritable. And I was kind of just sitting in dad's chair, stewing a little bit. And uh, my wife was, was making dinner and in comes my 16-year-old son and very humbly and rightfully comes in and I could tell he was frustrated and he just real humbly just came and asked for my advice on something. And so I, I gave him my advice, but I could tell he didn't really like it. And so that frustrated me because I was like, Gage, if you just do what I say, right, we wouldn't, this wouldn't be a problem anymore. You ask me, I'm telling you, and he could tell I was getting frustrated. And you know, to his credit, he did not escalate. He just kind of like, hey, you know, you kind of have that look. I can see it in his eyes like, well, dad's in a bad mood. And my wife could pick up on the tone in my voice. And so she jumps in like, hey, I, I, don't, I don't think he's crazy for asking questions right now. I mean, like, he's just trying to understand. And so I'm like, oh, oh okay, now there's two on one, right? <laughs> and uh, she goes, is there something behind? Like, why are you frustrated? Well, no, I just want him to take my advice. He asked, I'm telling him. And I'm, this is a real great, perfect dad moment right here, right? And, uh, and so I'm frustrated. And I could tell that um, they just kind of want to diffuse the situation. And I kind of self-justified. Like, I gave great advice. You came. You asked for advice. You should have taken it. And all right, so if you're frustrated, be frustrated. Real impressive, right? So he left. And about 1030 that night, he comes back home. And uh, my wife is Stayed upstairs the remainder of the night. I don't blame her. And uh, he comes in and he starts walking up the stairs. And typically on a normal night, he would just come in and say, hey, dad. And we'd talk, whatever. But he goes straight up the stairs. I'm like, oh, hey, Gage. Hey, dad. Straight upstairs. And so I'm like, okay, well, if that's what he wants to do, just because he couldn't take my advice. He didn't like my advice. That's fine. You know, we'll wait this thing out. I'll wake up in the morning and we'll all be good. So I go upstairs, I get ready to go to bed, you know, I'm brushing my teeth, I look in the mirror, and I didn't hear an audible voice, but I'm telling you, it was as if the conviction and weight of the Spirit came over my heart. And I look in the mirror, and it's like I hear God go, really? I mean, really? That's your leadership moment right now? Your 16-year-old son comes to you for advice, he has a question, and you become so offended you have made a mess. And I'm sitting there just thinking to myself, what a horrible example. One side of me feels justification, pride, stubborn refusal to acknowledge it. They should apologize to me. They didn't, she didn't respect me. But in the end, God's spirit, by his grace, I've been around Watermark too long. I've seen it modeled for far too long. I just go, you know what, I've made a mess. And so I just went into his room and I said, hey, Gage, let me just tell you something. I'm not gonna give you reasons why I responded that way. That was not helpful. Will you forgive me? Called my wife in there. Asked her the same thing. We ended up having like a, another hour conversation that was awesome. But do you see the difference? You see how different it is to be the one to say, you know what, I've made a mess. I need to clean it up. It's on me. How embarrassing to put that weight of responsibility on my 16-year-old son when I'm the one who made the mess. 
So let's talk about the motive of the rule. We talked about the practices of the rule, but the motive of the rule. And let's consider why we typically either obey or disobey this rule. I mean, real candidly, the reason why we disobey is because we're motivated by self-interest and self-preservation. That's why I didn't want to obey. That's why I didn't want to humble myself with my son. Imagine it's true for you. We're motivated by self-interest. Self-interest says, but what's in it for me? Hey, Blake, yeah, golden rule. I'll practice that. But what's in it for me? Someone else can do it. Someone else can take care of the guy who's been beaten, left half dead. I'm busy. I got things to do, man. And self-preservation says, if I live like this, then I'm going to be taken advantage of. I'm going to be taken advantage of. And quite candidly, as I was thinking about this passage, even when we do obey it, it is often because we want it to work. We obey, why? Because we want it to work. I'm going to be kind to you, so you'll be kind back. I'm going I'm to practice this rule because it's good for business. It's just good for, it just makes good business sense. But this again is what? It's, it's being motivated by self-interest and self-reservation. That's corrupt our hearts are. But Jesus doesn't promise that people are going to return the favor. You notice that? Verse 12? It's not what he says. He promises, in fact, just the opposite. Yet, his command remains just the same. There's no qualification. There's no exception. There's no, yeah, but if you don't know this person, you don't know my neighbor, you don't know what it's like to work with him, you don't know my mom, you don't know my spouse. There's nothing like that. He just simply tells you, if you want to be a follower of Christ, this is how you love and treat people. In the cross-reference verse in Luke chapter 6, verse 27 through 32, Jesus goes so far as to say that we are even to love our enemies in this way. How radical is that? We're to love our enemies in this way. Look at Luke 6, 27 through 32. But I say to you who hear, love your enemies. Do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who abuse you. Who lives like that? To one who strikes you on the cheek, offer the other also. To the one who takes away your cloak, do not withhold your tunic either. Give to everyone who begs from you. And from one who takes away your goods, do not demand them back. And as you wish that others would do to you, do so to them. There it is again. Right there in the context of how we are to love our enemies. Verse 31, and as you wish others would do to you, do so to them. If you love those who love you, what benefit is that to you? For even sinners love those who love them. Like, yeah, it's easy to love those who love you. But Jesus gives us a whole nother standard. A whole nother motive. And I know what you're thinking. I mean, this sounds like kindergarten talk, right? The stuff of fairy tales, nursery rhymes. But are we really expected to live like this? I mean, how can anybody live like this? And this isn't just another moral pep talk about how to live better, have a greater willpower. It's not what this is. And here is where you must understand something about this the context of this verse that's so important. Notice Matthew 7, 12 does not read, whatever you wish that others would do to you, do also to them. That's not what it says. 
You see what's missing? Two-letter word. It's the word so. So. And that makes all the difference of the world. Because it points you back to the context that precedes it. So. Whatever you wish that others would do to you, do also to them. So. Like that, that, that communicates that, there's, that this is tied to something. And it is. It's, it's tied to the verse of the passage that precedes it, which is what we studied last week. Matthew 7, 7 through 11, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock, it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives and the one who seeks finds. And to the one who knocks, it will be opened to you. Or which one of you, if a son asks for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a serpent? If you then who are evil, listen to that. If you then who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your father who is in heaven Give good things to those who ask them. So, whatever you wish that others would do to you, do also to them. You see, the, the motive behind obeying this can't just be, hey, I'm gonna knuckle down and try harder. This isn't just how to live a more moral lifestyle. This verse is tied to the love of the Father. That no one can live out this command without a proper understanding of God's love for us. Really, practically speaking, we've got to preach the gospel to ourselves every day. The, the gospel gang is not just for those who are far from God, who don't know him, like they need to hear it for the first time. It's not just for them, but it's for us. We're to preach the gospel to ourselves every day and to be reminded of the truth of Titus 3, which says, for we ourselves were once foolish, disobedient, led astray, slaves to various passions and pleasures, passing our days in malice and envy, hated by others and hating one, one another. That's who we were. Before trusting Christ, that was our job description. That's what characterized our life. But when you trust in Christ, when you recognize what God has done for you and you're a recipient of his grace, you understand verse four. But when the goodness and loving kindness of God our Savior appeared, he saved us, not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to his own mercy. You see, when you recognize that you are a recipient of God's grace, that there's nothing you could do to make God love you more, nothing you could do to make God love you less, and to be rightly related to him is not by what you do or don't do, but by simply receiving that gift. When you recognize that you are the one who's in need of mercy and grace, and God has chosen to love you, but God demonstrates his own love for us in this, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. When you preach the gospel to yourself every day, and you're reminded of that kind of love, and of a God who says to you, ask, seek, and knock, and I will reveal myself to you. Seek first my kingdom and my righteousness and all these other things will be taken care of for you. You don't need to live an anxious life because I'm gonna be the one to take care of you. When you realize it's God who's gonna sustain you and empower you and equip you, you then are able to love. 
in a way in which this world doesn't understand. We don't rely upon our own strength or willpower, but we ask for God's spirit to empower us. When I sat there and looked in the mirror and I felt all that pride and the flesh just pulling against me and thinking about my wife and my son and the mess I made, I just simply just looked just look to the Lord and I just go, God, I need your help because my heart, when left to itself, will justify, rationalize, minimize, and make a mess. So I preach the gospel to myself and I recognize that I've made a mess. I ask for God's help. And the third thing I wanna encourage you to do is to begin to see others through the lens of the gospel. 1 John 4, 19 says, we love because Christ first loved us. That's so important to remember. It's so important to recognize. We love because Christ first loved us. Just this week, I was meeting with a group of men, and uh, we meet on Thursdays, and we, have, we ask three simple questions. Hey, what'd you learn this week? What are you gonna do about it? And who are you gonna tell? Real simple. And so everybody gets to just kind of go around. And this one guy, one of my friends, he said, well, um, you know, I've been, I've been reading in 1 John. I've been, in fact, the passage I just read to you about how to love others. And uh, he goes, you know, when we had those straight line winds, well, um, the, my backyard, my fence, right, was a victim of the winds. I, I lost my whole fence in my backyard. And, um, and so I needed to get it fixed, and I reached out to this contractor, and he came, we made a deal, and he told me how much it was gonna be, and I spent all this money on the fence. And, um, you know, and I feel like, I mean, it's embarrassing for me to tell the story because, you know, I, I hate feeling taken advantage of. But, of course, the guy doesn't finish the fence like he says he would, and now he takes off with my money and made me so mad. So mad. I mean, I just, I've lost sleep and I'm angry over it. And so we're like, well, our, you know, so what did you do? And after talking with his wife, and after praying about it, my friend says to me, he goes, you know, there, I decided I just needed to let go of the money. I need to let go of the money. I need, I need to get over my hurt and my pride and feeling foolish. And I decided to pursue the man. I didn't see him as a contractor anymore. I pursued the man. Because I know that hurt people hurt people. Love people, love people. And so I reached out to him and tried to get to know him and I learned that he's going through a divorce and he's experiencing hard times and I saw it as an opportunity. I said, you know, Lord, maybe you've put me in this man's life over a stupid fence to give me the opportunity to love him in a way that doesn't make a lot of sense in the world's eyes. I just looked at my friend, I go, who lives like that? You know what 99% of the people in America do? They get to Twitter or social media and they rant. Not him. Not him. He goes, man, I just love the man. Now, should the man repair the fence? You bet. But is my friend clean before God? Absolutely. Because he began to see the contractor through the lens of the gospel. Only loved people can love in that way. Only recipients of God's grace can love like that. The motive of the rule, gang, is 
is not so people will love us back. The motive of the rules is because we've been loved. And the priority of the rules comes from this line, for this is the law and the prophets. For this is the law and the prophets. In other words, the golden rule summarizes your Old Testament. If you get that, you understand Exodus and Leviticus and Numbers. You understand the heart behind what God was calling Israel to and calling us to. When you understand love, This verse takes us back to the very beginning of the Sermon on the Mount where Jesus says in 5.17, do not think that I've come to abolish the law and the prophets. I've not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. You see, Jesus lived out the law perfectly. And he's the only one to do so. Because he was perfect. The golden rule summarizes the law, the prophets, and the Sermon on the Mount. And whenever we love this way, we are obeying the heart behind what Jesus called us to. Leviticus 19, 18. You shall not take vengeance or bear a grudge against the sons of your own people, but you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Romans 13, 8. Owe no one to anything except to love each other, for the one who loves another has fulfilled the law. Mackey go on and on. Galatians 5.14, for the whole law is fulfilled in one word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Do you understand? If you get that, if you get the golden rule, you understand the heart behind God. His purpose in giving us the whole law. He's calling us to love God, and when we understand the love of God and how to love God, then we're able to love others. And the golden rule is not just for kindergartners, It's not just wishful thinking. It's an ethic to live by. It's a a call on our lives to live differently. To put ourselves in other people's shoes and say, hey, what would I want done? How could I help? The truth is, being at Watermark for 17 years, I've seen this lived out in remarkable ways. Been so encouraged by the way I've seen so many of you live and love people. It truly is evidence of the Spirit of God in this family community of faith. It wasn't uh, long ago that I, I heard about a, a, group of, a group of friends who, um, who came alongside a, a family of a little girl who was dying of cancer. And... Um, That little girl loved nothing more than to ride her dirt bike. She stood about yay tall, skin and bones, but she'd get on one of those big old monster dirt bikes, and she'd ride these these dirt bikes. And um, and everybody knew that this uh, that cancer was gonna was gonna end up, you know, taking her life soon. So this group of friends, they just thought, hey. What would we want someone to do? How could we come alongside a family we really don't even know? And the particular father, he didn't have the money to go buy the dirt bike, so he decided, you know, I'm I'm just gonna take my daughter to, uh, I think it was the Honda store. So he went to the Honda store, and they spent the day there looking at all the dirt bikes. And she tried on, like, all the leather stuff, you know, and the helmets. She wanted the hot pink boots, 
a whole bit. And uh, they spent the day there just laughing and playing. And this group of friends from Watermark hear the story, and so uh, they call the store manager. And they said, uh, hey, I understand there's a little girl who uh, you helped today. And I uh, was in your store. He goes, oh, yeah. Because do you remember what, what she tried on, what her sizes were? Yeah. Do you remember what she liked, the helmet, the jacket? Yeah, oh, yeah. Do you remember the bike? Yeah. I'm, I'm buying all those. You're what? Yeah, I, I want to buy all those, right to the hot pink boots. You got a trailer? I'm going to need a trailer. Called the, called the dad and said, hey, listen, you don't know us very well. And this is what we would love to do for you. Because we, we love Jesus. And we know you do too. Here's our only request. Our only request is, it just comes from you. It just comes from you. Don't pay us back. Don't give us anything. Just give it to your daughter. Guys, who does that? Who lives like that? People who know the Lord. People who have been forgiven people who know they're loved, people who see that, hey, what I have is not meant for me, but it is meant to be a blessing to others. People understand the intent and the heart of the golden rule and the heart of God. Let's pray. Well, Father in heaven, I confess to you that I do not live by the golden rule as often as I would like, but far too often, at my home and in my community group and here in the church, I've minimized and rationalized and justified my own fleshly desires, my own pride, and what I want. Father, would you forgive me and forgive each of us, Lord, who say we want to represent you, but then we, we run our businesses for nothing but our own pleasure and profit and selfish gain. And there's nothing that separates our business from the world's except a little fish on a business card or a verse on a website. But Lord, may our words, may we love people, Father, not just with words, but in action and truth. Help us, Lord, to, to be like the Samaritan, to be a there you are kind of person and not a here I am and just simply pass by. We love you in Christ's name. Amen.